What John Lewis did and what Jackson did, the counterplay between them, you know, one phrase from John Lewis could set up a whole chorus almost of inspiration for what Jackson might do. That's my man. He's, he and Bill Basie were the most economical pianists of uh, our time. And uh, I, I love him for that too. It was a beautiful thing, man. I was just lucky to be there all those years. This is Jazz Stories. I'm Alexa Lim. So that was the late bassist Percy Heath talking about John Lewis and Milt Jackson, fellow members of the Modern Jazz Quartet, or MJQ. So the MJQ was a bit of a supergroup during its time, with John Lewis on piano, Milt Jackson on vibes, Ray Brown on bass, and Kenny Clark on drums. The quartet first came together in 1946 as the rhythm section of Dizzy Gillespie's big band. In Dizzy's band, the group would improvise for long stretches, to let the brass players catch their breath after solos. And out of this, the MJQ was born. There were no horns and no featured solos, and Lewis, the musical director, wrote highly structured compositions that used counterpoint in other European classical forms. But it still left enough space for each member to improvise and show their own voice. It was sophisticated music that sounded deceptively simple. So it takes a certain type of musician to be a part of a supergroup. And in 1952, Percy Heath came into the band. He had been part of the house band for the Downbeat Club in his hometown of Philadelphia, where he also played with his brothers. And he had stints with Thelonious Monk and was in Dizzy's band, so he had the credentials. But filling in for Ray Brown and playing with his idols would take a bit of work. In 2001, he was part of a jazz at Lincoln Center concert honoring the music of John Lewis. Backstage, he talked about the initial challenges of finding his place within the group and a band that was exceptionally tight both musically and personally. The absence of, you know, some, the other two members of the quartet, uh, uh, it was most felt uh, when I had to narrate the, the films at, uh, at the, uh, on the Wednesday night when I had, oh boy, you know, to look up there and see and hear those the uh, performances, uh, it was a little difficult, you know, in some moments, but uh, hey, man, two of us are still here, you know, and 40 years together, 40-some years together was uh, a record that will not be ever broken by the same members and same people performing together, I don't think. It just doesn't happen that way, and I, it was phenomenal that the quartet lasted that long. So I met John Lewis and Milt Jackson and Ray Brown and other members of the Dizzy Gillespie Orchestra when they came through Philadelphia. I met him long before I started playing bass. Uh, my brother Jimmy brought them down to the house for Mama to cook a meal, home-cooked meal for them. And uh, I, I just bought a bass. I just got an out-of-service Air Force. And I told Ray Brown, yeah, man, I just got a bass. And he showed me how to hold positions and whatnot on it and that was in spring of 46 well in a year and a half I was playing in the Paris with Howard McGee sextet at the the first international uh, jazz festival down in Champs-Élysées in the Théâtre Marigny but in between I was in the, the house bass player in 
the downbeat in Philly, and Kenny Clark had come by after one of those jazz at the Philharmonic things, and he scared me to death. I, you know, the way he played and my role, I was just frightened by him. And then in 1948, I had a matinee with John Lewis, Kenny Clark, John Collins on the guitar as a rhythm section, and Coleman Hawkins. And we played this matinee in the, the L'Ambassador's uh, fine, beautiful restaurant, high ceiling and whatnot. It was, there I was in Paris, and all of a sudden I got a, a matinee with these people <laughs> that I had admired all those years uh, from chasing Dizzy's band around and, and uh, oh, June and I were avid fans of Gillespie's band. Anyhow, here I was performing with them, and after the the first tune that we played with Coleman Hawkins with his stuffy, you know, the do 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 do, and right after the the statement of the feet, of the theme, and we started into the chorus of improvisation, and I finally learned how to play with Kenny Clark because you have to listen to the cymbal, never mind those accents, and we tighten up. And Bean turned around and said, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's the thrill of my life. Then, of course, when, when Kenny and John came back, to America. This is in the early 50s. I had been with Dizzy Gillespie for a year and a half then, and a bunch of a lot of other experience. And we started playing together as Milt Jackson's quartet. And uh, you know, I started develop. I developed a little more. And uh, one day it was decided that uh, John was going to write this new concept of music for that formation and. Uh, no longer to be the Milt Jackson Quartet, and he brought in a list of names, and we chose MJQ, which was Milt Jackson Quartet, Modern Jazz Quartet. It happened to be synonymous, so that was the beginning of it. John Lewis, he was a musical director, and he wrote certain things. He wrote stuff that I couldn't play ahead of me, and I had to learn how to do that. He's more or less my teacher for all those years. I never studied any music, really. I had a few lessons from Mingus at one time early on because John said I needed to learn some more in order to play other than what we had been playing with uh, Milt's quartet. And I took a few lessons from Mingus, but that got really political and whatnot. And <laughs> he told me in the beginning, he said, you want me to perceive you putting me on, man? I said, no, Charles, I need some lessons from you. And... Uh, yeah, man, if I could play the blues like you, I wouldn't want no lessons, you know. So, no, Charles, I'm serious. <laughs> so he gave me some finger exercises and stuff. The melodies and the, the themes of the songs, they were written by John Lewis. They were his compositions, and the space that was allowed me to, to create was there. And if it didn't fit, he would say so. Oh, no, you can't do that there, Percy, because we're doing something, you know. So, okay, change it. And uh, 
that concept was his, and he brought in the parts for us to play to all those compositions that he wrote. And uh, that was one reason why Klute wanted to go back to Paris. He didn't want drum parts written out, you know. He, he was an innovator of it, uh, in his own right as a percussion, you know. And uh, anyhow, he wanted to go back to Paris, and when he left, uh, 55, that's when we were fortunate enough to get Connie Kay. But uh, the, that concept was John Lewis's, and uh, we not only adapted it, but we we enjoyed uh, the difference in that type of playing and uh, the air airiness of it all and the space and the uh, in the beginning most of the things were written for me because I didn't really know too much about uh, that concept. I would you know I'm a rhythm section. Uh, bass player with uh, Monk and Dizzy and everybody else on record. I was like the house bass player for most, uh, must have made 200-something, more over 200-something records, maybe 300 by now. But but anyhow, this was a challenge for me, and uh, those written parts I had to play in order for them to uh, use that as a basis uh, to do whatever they had to do on it. And then it was always... Uh, even in the completely written parts, there was always space for each individual to create something uh, during the context of the of the composition, you know, to be free to improvise, so to speak, on his own. It was wonderful, man. It, it was um, a great school for me, and I really loved John Lewis uh, for what he did for me in my career, you know. Uh, when we were in Europe running around after concert, Jackson and Kernan, we would run around jam and stuff like that, go to hear uh, local musicians, and John Lewis had his keyboard with him. He was composing. He was he's very dedicated to music, period, and uh, that, that was why the quartet developed so much uh, uh, as it did over the years because of his dedication to creating or uh, giving the, uh, the quartet new music to play and to continue that uh, style that we were known for. You know. There was always Milt wanting to do other things, which he had time to do on, uh, on other records, and uh, he had a separate contract with Atlantic. He had time enough to go off and do his band-leading thing and to play uh, mostly blues and ballads, which he was the master of. I don't think he really loved uh, some of the Bach things that he did, but <laughs> the man had photographic memory and all those things that we learned, so complicated for him to learn. Once he learned it, he'd throw the music away and play it, just play it. For, and even years after, John would say, Jackson, why don't we play so-and-so again? And he said, Oh, yeah, what did I play here? And he'd run through, and the next thing you know, he said, oh, yeah, and he'd got it, and that was it, man. <laughs> Milt Jackson's phenomenal. Uh, he was really uh, one of the most talented improvisers, you know, uh, on his own, or his stature. Nobody played that instrument like that. I never heard him. And, you know, Hampton and all the other, all the other vibers, uh, they never... 
played what Jackson played. And even on those transcriptions of like something like the Bacchianas, and he dressed up that melody. <laughs> you know what I mean? There wasn't no straight note for note for melody. Yeah, I miss him. He was beautiful, man. Some people say they used to listen to our modern jazz quartet records. Uh, they listened through several times, listening at each instrument, and they would hear different music every time, you know. So that was my role to create a, a melody, so to speak, on the chord progressions of the song, so that you would know uh, those progressions from my line as well as the harmonic improvisation over that that other members of the group would have, you know. There's a certain thing on the bandstand that when every now and then, uh, not every night, not every composition, but there comes a point when the collective sound and of that moment, you reach that pinnacle, which just, oh man, it's, you know, you kind of tingle. And, uh, Crook used to say, uh-uh, don't go in there. You know, it, it would be so tight, you know, at that moment. You can't really maintain it with only a brief moment. Only people who, who play music would experience that, so. Those moments came and they evoke laughter, they evoke all the emotions in certain parts of, of compositions. They are mournful and they, it's a, you well up uh, tearfully and Eh, that's music, man. If it, jazz is supposed to be like that, you know. That was the late bassist Percy Heath. You can hear the music of the modern jazz quartet with drummer Louis Nash leading our own foursome at jalc.org slash jazzcast. And you can find all of our jazz stories there and on iTunes. For Jazz Stories, I'm Alexa Lim. This series is produced by David Gorn and me at Murray Street with support from Jazz at Lincoln Center. So consider becoming a member or joining us for a live performance. You can find complete information at jalc.org. <laughs>